Hello, everybody. Adam Parks here with another episode of Receivables Roundtable. Today, I am here with my friend Xerxes Martin, who is the managing partner for Martin, Lyons, Watts, and Morgan. How are you doing today, Xerxes? I'm doing great. How about you? I can't complain. It's another day in paradise down here in South Florida. Um, I know that you're a regular on the conference circuit and everybody who's plugged into the litigation side of our industry is going to be very familiar with you. But for anybody who's new to the space, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got to the seat that you're in today? All right. Uh, Well, I'll go way back when in law school. Uh, my father was a criminal defense attorney for about 50 years. And so my whole life, I thought I'd be a criminal defense attorney with him. And then sure enough, I graduated law school. And while other district attorney's offices were coming off hiring freezes, mm-hmm. uh, Dallas County went on one. So, uh, but my dad had tried some cases with uh, Robbie Malone uh, quite a while back. And she called him asking for a law clerk. And he said, yeah, it'll be my son and he'll start immediately. And I had just gotten home. I was living in Houston at the time, just got back from my honeymoon. My dad calls me and says, hey, I got you this law clerk job and you're starting tomorrow. I said, dad, my wife and I are moving to Dallas tomorrow. I don't really want this to be a really short marriage. (laughs) And he goes, well, you got to do it. So I called her up and she said, you can start whenever, no problem. Uh, So I started working with her shortly after I moved to Dallas. <laughs> and uh, so as I started working with her, I realized just what a wealth of information she had, how great an attorney she was too. And I realized that like this was a tremendous opportunity for me to pivot, look at the civil litigation side a lot more and possibly build this business with her. And so it's kind of the rest is history. We worked together for uh, give or take 10 years until her passing in 2021. Uh, but I mean, we grew this firm from uh, one partner and one to two associate firm uh, to now we're four partners, um, handful of associates, and we're practicing nationwide. Whereas when I started, we were Texas and that's it. And that's kind of a Texas way to be. <laughs> uh, but we saw many opportunities kind of growing outside of Texas and we've just slowly but surely growed it, uh, controlled that growth. And it's been great. Well, that sounds like a, a really interesting story kind of coming in there, doing the build from the ground up. I mean, that, that takes a lot of small business knowledge, right? And so if you become a lawyer and a small business owner simultaneously, seems like a lot to cover in a short period of time. We're in the trenches a whole bunch, whether it's just the operations, whether it's in litigation, Uh, we wear a lot of different hats. Um, And as a small firm or relatively small firm, um, you do a lot of everything and it's kind of a chain and the weakest link of the chain can cause problems. And so you just got to keep it a well-oiled machine, uh, keep your eye on everything and keep controls in place. Absolutely. So for anybody who's not familiar with the firm, can you tell us about the types of law that you're practicing and like what you guys focus on there? Uh, So broadly, civil litigation um, and then narrowing down a little bit more. uh, We handle a lot of business litigation and then have a particular niche, as many of the viewers know, uh, in this creditor rights space, uh, Mm -hmm. which kind of covers the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, Fair Credit Reporting Act, uh, the state versions of those. Uh, the TCPA had obviously creeped into this industry as well. And so we have been doing a heavy volume of those types of cases. Uh, but 
from the broad side, I mean, we have a large amount of experience just in general civil litigation, uh, which we can apply our knowledge of that to this industry and really develop these cases properly, uh, put them in good postures to win these cases and develop a lot of good case law for the collection industry. So as we talk about the collection industry in total, I know there's different kinds of attorneys within the space, right? And so we have those that are actually out there collecting debt, and then we have those that are defending us so that we can collect debt. And it sounds like you guys are are much more down the path of assisting businesses with navigating the regulatory maze that we get dropped in as we're trying to collect versus actually filing suits on behalf of creditors. That's very accurate. I mean, we represent debt uh, buyers, debt collectors, also law firms that specialize in collections. Um, And then like on our side, we have two compliance partners that really field all the compliance issues, operations issues. Um, My partner, Patrick Watts and I, we handle really the whole litigation Mm -hmm. uh, book of business that we have in our firm Um, and then apply it across the board. Um, We really avoid any sort of possibilities of us becoming um, collectors. As you said, like a lot of lawyers out there are collections lawyers, and we really avoid that. So no one can ever kind of point a finger at us and try to say we're a debt collector under the FDCPA. Mm -hmm. Uh, So every there's been about, you know, five situations where we come in on a counterclaim Uh, in a collection lawsuit, and we handle those appropriately. uh, But those are also definitely in the minority. Understood. And look, I don't think that um, sometimes when when some of these attorneys are filing these suits, they don't necessarily look all that closely at like who they're naming there. Um, Because even Branding Arc, which is the marketing firm that builds websites for collection agencies, debt buyers, law firms, et cetera, has been named in suits um, just like ad hoc and randomly. Uh, you know, I mean, generally, obviously, we've got great representation to to manage that process, but I find that clearly they're not looking very close and they're like, oh, these guys built a website. They must own a company. Like, what do you what? Hey, terms and conditions there. Oh, you know, hey, look, I, and we've got all that buttoned up. That's why I find it to be so hysterical that they don't even bother looking. So I can only imagine being a law firm representing whether it be law firms or debt buyers, how that gets viewed and confused, which brings me to an interesting question, right? So- I look at the industry and I say, okay, you know, you have RMAI, which is you know, very kind of debt buyer focused. And through the past couple of years, that, that focus has definitely expanded exponentially. And then we have, you know, ACA that's very focused on the collectors and we have NCBA that's focused on the collection attorneys. Where do the defense attorneys hang out? Like where, where's their spot in the space, right? At the bar at each of their conferences. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're the chameleon across all. You guys are kind of like the Switzerland. You're you're just kind of out there in, in between all the lines. Correct. I, I mean, obviously, it's a lot of potential clients in all of those categories. Sure. Um, and then we really kind of like fill in the gaps between all of those, all those specific niches, uh, and also kind of in between the people in those organizations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, obviously over time we all, uh, whether by choice or just natural, we kind of fall into, um, our specializations. Mm. Um, it's fair to say that our specialization has come to serving the collection industry. Um, and as I said, sometimes by choice or sometimes not by choice, 
as I talked about Robbie earlier, um, when medical malpractice tort reform hit Texas, her book of business of that, that's what she specialized in, kind of dissolved overnight. They put a cap on damages. And so there's next to no liability in the cases anymore. So the plaintiff's attorney shifted to where the money was. Mm-hmm. And she had her insurance adjuster call her and say, hey, can you handle an FDCPA case? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, not knowing what the FDCPA was at the time. And so she pivoted that way, I mean, overnight. And here we are now. Um, and we tried a lot of those cases to get the FDCPA cases together. And it was a ton of fun. Um, but and so with the, the specialization, these people in each organization or company, they kind of have know their roles, know their specialty, whether it's CFO on financing, uh, COO on the operation side of things, or chief compliance officer. They've all got their specialties that they focus on, they learn about, and everything. And kind of with our firm and what we do, we kind of do a little bit of wearing all of those hats. And we learn ideas for operations. We learn litigation strategy. We learn compliance. And as us being business owners ourselves, I mean, we know financial sides of things too and kind of business strategies. And so we really kind of just fit in a bunch of the different gaps between either um, certain uh, executives in each company and then also serve the external um, counsel for litigation. Interesting. So it sounds like a man of many hats, um, especially as we talk about the collections industry. And I I think it's interesting how um, so many different organizations don't fit on one of those particular lines, not a debt buyer, not a collection agency, not a collection law firm. And I'm going to specify collection law firm. Um, And then there, but there's all of these different pieces and parts of the industry that ultimately support that. So, you know, as we were kind of preparing for this call, one of the things that we talked about a little bit and to kind of take you down the legal path um, just a little bit, as we look at some of the hot button issues that are going on there right now, one of the things that you had mentioned to me was kind of like disputes and the reversal of notices of a dispute, which to me is just a mind boggling situation. I dispute it. I don't dispute it. Well, maybe I dispute it. Um, And again, it feels like people trying to live in between the lines, right? We've got a clear dispute, we've got a clear complaint. And then there's this thing in the middle where they seem to be going back and forth. What the hell is going on out there? What's happening? Like, what are you seeing? Well, one of the entities that does not attend the conferences that we talked about are the credit repair organizations. Mm. And so they're very much kind of a thorn in the side of um, the collection industry right now. And um, we're definitely going to see a heavy increase in FCRA disputes. All the standing issues that the FDCPA plaintiffs are facing right now is most likely going to shift a lot of focus to the Fair Credit Reporting Act, FCRA. Mm. Um, and then also the rise of uh, credit repair organizations. And so since we're going to be seeing this increase in FCRA, have to be mindful of it, have to be mindful of policies and procedures covering the FCRA, mainly reasonable investigation of disputes. Um, And I know that just the simple topic of handling disputes is really a huge burden on everyone in this industry right now because you have to have full-time employees to handle the volume of disputes. Mm -hmm. People are outsourcing the handling of disputes. And at the end of the day, whether it's the cost of handling disputes or defending FCRA lawsuits, 
um, that affects the bottom line of all of these entities and pretty heavily. Um, but one of the interesting trends that we're seeing right now is uh, myself and two great colleagues talked about this at RMA, um, I guess, two weeks ago, is there's particularly two firms out there right now that are kind of wearing two hats on their side as being plaintiff's attorneys in this realm, and then also kind of acting as credit repair organizations. And what they're doing is signing people up. And right now we're seeing this very commonly of people sending in a dispute letter and saying, hey, I dispute this debt, mark it as such, and I won't pay or something. And then a few, they see if the agency marked that as disputed. If the agency didn't, they'll probably sue saying, hey, you're falsely reporting my credit. I disputed that. And if the agency marks it correctly, marks it as disputed, uh, you can almost guarantee a few weeks later, uh, the agency will get a letter saying, oh, by the way, I don't dispute that anymore, uh, but I'm still probably not going to pay it. Have a good day. And so it's kind of turning into this endless cycle of I dispute, I don't dispute if these uh, debtors have found these particular law firms. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's do you really want to run the risk of, you know, properly reading each of these letters every time they come in? have your policies and procedures to read them, monitor them, but you're always dealing with human error too. So if one of these letters isn't read correctly, you're probably going to get sued. And so rather than playing this game of letter to letter, did I read it right? Did I mark it right? Did the Bureau do it right? I mean, it's probably best to shut down the collection of those accounts. I know you don't really want to hear that all the time, but uh, that'll save you some litigation budget dollars. It's interesting, right? So they're they're doing this back and forth game, which is ultimately leading to these other problems. And then you are always going to have groups that are going to want to fight it out, right? Like, let's just let's bring this to a conclusion now. And then you're going to have those that try to avoid it. I'm wondering if this type of I mean, I guess this type of consumer, unless the lawsuits have come down before, wouldn't show up in like a web recon scrub or something like that, because it's like a new avenue that they're using to attack and, and this seems like an attack through confusion right i mean it's not very sensitive. absolutely i mean probably the the hardest thing to prevent is human error i mean just inherently humans sure. make mistakes and, and you're talking about i mean people reading letter after letter after letter these letters are written to intentionally confuse mm -hmm. um and so that's another aspect of it there's been a lot of litigation about just interpreting what these dispute letters mean. Um, and so no matter what you do, you really cannot prevent all forms of human error. It, it will happen, but the best you can do is mitigate it, have good policies and procedures, um, and just proceed accordingly. Well, I'm wondering, I guess, and that also would be varied based on whether or not you're the owner of that asset or you're working that asset on behalf of a third party and what your service level agreement would be if you are a third party working those accounts. I mean, as a debt buyer, it's probably a little bit easier for us to be like, nah, we're just not going to worry about, you know, like close that account out. We'll push it up to the side. Yeah. And it's kind of like, if you're placing a third agency, it's kind of like, well, they're reading the letters. That's y'all's problem. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, the, the debt owner, creditor, if they qualify as a debt collector in the FCRA or FDCPA or whatever, I mean, there could still be liability there or at least a lawsuit. Um, and then we're all familiar with indemnity agreements involved in that too. So typically the risk is put on the agency that's generally receiving the letters, um, but not everyone is uh, safe.
True statement. I mean, it, it, it's just a very interesting approach with the turn it on, turn it off. And then when you consider the volumes of Oscar complaints and other types of disputes that ultimately we see as an industry and with such a high volume of that, you know, confirmed to be coming from um, organizations that specialize in deception and confusion versus, you know, staying focused on what's available there. So I find it to be uh, an interesting problem for our industry to be uh, to be facing because there's no easy solution to something like this, right? It's, it's just something yeah. that lives there now. I think it's easy to say that just credit reporting and the issues that come from it is probably the biggest burden on the industry right now, or at least the collection agencies. And I think maybe things that kind of tie that or whatever is just kind of staying up to date with the regulation from the uh, alphabet agencies and stuff like that. Um, just kind of interpreting and uh, figuring out how to handle things. Th those are, in my opinion, without putting too much thought into it, are probably the two biggest uh, issues the industry faces right now. It's a fair statement. Uh, it, it definitely does not make it any easier. Um, and, and looking at all of these complaints and disputes and the management of these processes, um, anytime that there can be some ambiguity, they're going to use it against us. And it's, it's very unfortunate because credit reporting is also such an essential part of a credit-based ecosystem. Um, and because if we can't look at accurate credit reporting. And as, you know, as I was at ACA's annual conference last year and people, you know, it was before the, um, the medical related changes to credit reporting, it was under $500 and you know, not, we can't report it for a year and all of this. And they're trying to figure out how, you know, how do you maintain service levels and, and low uh, costs of, of providing services to end users if we're constantly in this state of flux. And I, I think it just creates a, um, a more difficult scenario for your average consumer who's now going to pay more in interest rates because the creditor has to offset the risk that they're taking in lending money. Uh, and it really does create a bad situation for everybody because a handful of people decide to play with what I would consider to be one of the better systems for reporting credit on earth. Yep. And it's, it's funny you say that because like the two big concerns I just said, you just combine them and the one issue that the industry is facing right now, uh, you have a regulatory agency hand this down regarding the medical debt, which applies to credit reporting. <laughs> and so everyone's interpreting what the um, agency is saying, how to handle it. Is this 500 or is it less than 500? Uh, what's the starting point? And so on. And I mean, I watched the two great uh, webinars last week on this topic. And I mean, there's still questions out there about it. And so, yeah, it's, it's funny how you combine just the two points I made right there all in one and we're facing it and we're trying to figure it out. Well, is, I mean, this is the this is the big thing that we're always facing, right? Like our job as an industry is to keep interest rates low and to make credit available. Like those are the two primary objectives of the debt collection industry. And although we do that by collecting debts that are not being paid, but lending is a, a risk versus reward probability, right? Why would I lend somebody money if I can't collect it? And the only way that I can continue to lend it is by charging more interest so that I can offset my risk levels. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, obviously that's something that I've spent a good amount of time over the last decade trying to explain to 
all kinds of different people, whether it be regulators, legislators, um, attorney generals, and just finding that balance because I think our industry gets a stigma that it doesn't necessarily deserve because people don't understand the function or the value proposition that the collections industry is ultimately attributing to the overall credit-based ecosystem. But don't let get me up on my soapbox because I could run down that path for probably three or four hours. Um, for today, Xerxes, I really want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights into the industry. I always appreciate our opportunities to connect at an RMAI summit or the other conferences throughout the year and just have a quick chat. You always just have so much information and insight into what's going on around the space. I really appreciate you. I appreciate the opportunity. This is great. Uh, happy to do it anytime in the future uh, and look forward to seeing you around too. For those of you that are watching, if you have additional questions that you'd like to ask Xerxes or myself, you can leave those here on LinkedIn or YouTube. We'll be happy to respond to questions. If you have additional topics that you'd like to see us cover, you can leave those in the comments below and I will get Xerxes back out here and chatting with me some more so we can continue creating great content for a great industry. But until next time, everybody, thank you so much for watching and Xerxes, thank you so much for your time today. I always appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Anytime. We'll see everybody again soon.